0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The last couple of weeks, we've uh, trying to uh, bring you the stories of what's been happening in Afghanistan. A lot of emotion, of course, over the last twenty years, uh, precipitated by what happened on 9/11. But subsequent to that, of course, was the battle. It was a war. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and it seemed to reach a tipping point uh, on. The announcement that was made by president biden that as of the end of last month that uh, u.s troops were going to be totally pulled out the canadian contingent of course uh, had been out for some time for a couple of years now but it caused a, a very desperate situation for an awful lot of people including uh, many native afghanis who had been promised uh to be let out of the country to get out of them they had been aiding and abetting the, the allied troops during this we wanted to bring you some of those stories in the last uh, week i think it was we talked with actually one of the residents of Kabul who was stuck in the middle of this and was waiting uh to get out we don't know whether or not he actually did. Our next guest has been working with a group of uh, current and former service members who are working and continuing to work to evacuate a number of citizens uh, from Kabul, what's going on. Uh, Matthew Best is a freelance journalist and uh, we brought him onto the program today uh, to tell these stories uh, because it's so important that we know what has been happening, the challenges that are going on and and the human stories and the human uh, grief that's been going on as a result of this. Uh, Matthew, first and foremost, I'm glad you could join us. Thanks for being on the program today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. It's it's a pleasure to have somebody that's listening and caring. So thanks a lot. Well,
0: I, I think we all need to hear this. We, I mean, you've, you've been in journalism for an awfully long time. You've covered myriads of stories about this. Uh, talk to us about before we get into some of the details about how this has impacted you as, as you saw this, as you talked to these people, as you saw what was going on on a daily basis.
1: Well, I think I'll uh, I'll start at the end with that and say that, you know, a couple days ago, uh, I just, I stepped away for a minute and I took 10 minutes and I just cried. Uh, not because I was sad, but because I was overwhelmed. Um, that's sort of the exclamation point on, I guess, what I'm about to say, which is that this is one of the hardest things that I have ever had to deal with. And that the people that I'm working with and the people that we're working for have ever had to deal with.
0: Life and death situation is a phrase that we probably use way too often in our in our daily vocabularies. Uh, but this was life and death and still is life and death for many people, isn't it?
1: It, it absolutely is. Um, these are people who were working with us or working with our allies, with our partner forces, who worked as interpreters, who were sometimes working as base guards, who, um, in the case of some people I know, also worked as Afghan commandos who trained you know, with our special forces, with US special forces. And these are guys that if they're found, uh, they'll be executed on the squad, and they'll be lucky if they get a bullet to the head. Um, it's likely to be slow. And that's just, it's horrible. And that's there for their families, too. It's, it's mind boggling.
0: We should mention, by the way, I have read the first draft of, of the story here that, that you've been working on for some time. Uh, and as, as we go through this, I want people to understand this, the severity of this. Uh, a lot of the people that you talk about here, uh, you've actually had to use pseudonyms for them because if they, their real identity were, were to be exposed, uh, they've been, and, and we're talking about members of the military and as well as, as Afghanis could be in, in deep, deep uh, doo-doo uh, from their superior officers, from another. This is a humanitarian effort, to, I guess, to, to characterize this, isn't it? People that are going above and beyond to try to, to help these people.
1: It is a humanitarian effort, and I think one of the hardest things uh, to deal with is that the people uh, who are doing this, the the volunteers really, who are doing this in their spare time, are people that never should have been asked to do this, and they're doing it for people who should have never needed to ask it to be done. Um, The the sentiment here is that there's a feeling of betrayal, um, that the guys on the ground have been have been cut loose.
0: Uh, one individual, we'll call him Abdullah, that you you write about. Uh, mm-hmm. You talk about his story. We're going to get into some of the details about this. So who's waiting? He acted as, as you mentioned, an interpreter, a as they call them, for the U.S. Army. Uh, now he and 13 family members are huddled in a disused gas station 500 yards north of the airport. They're in hiding. Basically, uh, as, as you describe it, Matthew, it's almost as if they're waiting for an opportunity to sprint to the airport so they can get out of there. Uh, because if they're seen, uh, they're probably dead.
1: Yep. And, uh, I mean, Part of it is talking them out and making that sprint because you have to be very careful how they move. Uh, you have to be very careful uh, who sees them. So when uh, the people I was with uh, were trying to coordinate with them, they were coordinating with uh, U.S. special operations forces that were on the ground, and they were saying, "Look, you got to stay where you are. Uh, you got to find a way to signal us. Uh, they and you know get us to to be able to spot you." And we're using things, you know, challenges and responses um, to say like you know, hey, this is me, okay, I know who you are, it's safe to go with you, and then get them into that airport. And uh, with Abdullah, the situation that had happened with him, why he was at that gas station is because this gate that he was uh, trying to get into to get into the airport when uh, Hamakaza Airport was still active, was the only gate left available, and it was being guarded on the outside by the Taliban. Um, on the inside, it was other people, but on the outside, it was the Taliban. And this was right after the bombing at Abbey Gate. And that's actually what shut down Abbey Gate. Um, one of the really tough things about it was we were getting people through Abbey Gate uh, right up until the last minute. Some of the Marines that were killed were people that had gotten families through that we were in contact with.
0: Yeah, that's one of the stories that, that needs to be told the, the tragic death of those 13 uh... americans as uh, service people that were involved in that we're actually in in, in this mission there were a, a number of them uh... we actually doing this to try to get people out of there uh... Abdullah's story story is, is typical though of many of them uh, as you write about matthew uh... and I, I don't want people to get the wrong impression i mean you know they didn't volunteer to help the allied forces thinking hey that's my ticket out of here uh... they did it because it was the right thing to do because they wanted to see the taliban and they wanted to see al-qaeda crushed uh, they did it with the best of intentions uh, and they were promised uh, that they would be left, not left back, that there was going to be a process for them. Uh, And and as you say, they felt as if they've been basically abandoned. That seems to be the the common sentiment.
1: It is a common sentiment. I mean, these are people, I have tons of people now who've come to me and said, my paperwork is stalled. Um, It's with IRCC, which is, you know, Canada's Immigration, uh, Refugee and Citizenship, um, State Department, uh in the united states um i have file numbers uh but i haven't heard back in two months or they'll tell me uh, you know it's i've filed it with the us and canada because i work with both but they haven't even given me a file number yet i mean the stories are so myriad that if i was to tell them all to you i'd take up your entire show um but it's almost the same story over and over again where what we're hearing from the united states is mission accomplished it was a great success from what i've seen that's divorced from reality um, we're hearing over here on our side from Mark Arno. all they have to do is make it to a friendly third party country and you know for people up here it's like well you know I could get to a friendly third party country I could just hop in, a, in my car and drive to the border in two hours and do some shopping in America but for them it's having to go through multiple checkpoints with Taliban it's trying to figure out which country is going to have a border open it's trying to figure out which country is going to let them in without a visa just to get the refugee processes started. It's it's not that easy.
0: Well, and as as one individual told us a couple of weeks ago when we were talking to them, uh, from Kandahar, which is where a lot of the, the Canadian, of course, activity occurred when the Canadians were there, uh, to Kabul, there's one road. Uh, and it's uh, it's being guarded by the Taliban, as you mentioned, with a number of different checkpoints. I I suppose you could probably go over, you know, through the mountains, et cetera. But, I mean, you know, do you really want to you, – well, you can't, basically, because of the, the the physical and geographic problems and challenges that are there. But at mm-hmm. the same time, uh, the Taliban are there, too. I mean, you can't get from point A to point B uh, without running into Taliban at some stage, and you have no idea how they're going to respond to you.
1: Oh, that's absolutely it. Um... There's no idea of what kind of questions they're going to ask, or you know, um, are they going to search through things? Or are they going to look up your ID? Or are they just trying to wave people through? There's no idea if these Taliban are, you know, and not to minimize the Taliban or what they do, but there's no idea if you know some of the guys that are working for them are just guys that have got caught up, which happens in in wars, which happens in war zones. They might be just people that want to wave them through, but you know, now they're with the Taliban um it, it's an unpredictable situation where you know people use the term fog of war to describe this kind of confusion and that's exactly the fog that these people are living in and so for us trying to peer through it's very difficult
0: where is the sense of urgency and I, I don't mean from the people that you've talked to because certainly they understand that they're they're right in the in this firestorm now uh but you know, the, the governments, and it's the Canadian government, yes, certainly, it's the bureaucracy, the American bureaucracy, the German bureaucracy, the UK bureaucracy uh, seem to be saying, well, there's a process. Uh, do they not understand and grasp the urgency of, of what's going on here and, and how these delays are having an impact on these families?
1: No, no, they, I, it's, this is the betrayal. When they When we talk about betrayal, this is a betrayal, is that lack of a sense of urgency. Um, you have people working day and night, like you said, who do have a sense of urgency, but they're not the ones calling the shots. And we've had to do the end run around the shot callers because the people with the sense of urgency are not the people that set policy or can organize you know, relief efforts.
0: Do they understand, as you've talked to some of these people and the families that are waiting for help at this stage, some of them still in hiding, uh, that there is pushback over here about this? I, I find it disgusting, but it's there. I saw a tweet the other day from somebody, an American, by the way, uh when they showed the pictures of, of some of the afghans who have been extricated from their uh, landing in the united states uh, basically saying well we just let the next boston bombers over here you know that that mm. that that idiotic atmosphere and that idiotic perspective is still there i i'm hoping that's not playing into the politics of this right now which is why some politicians seem very reticent to get into this they don't seem to to, to understand the humanitarian urgency that's going on here
1: well there's a couple points on that um I'll address something very briefly. Whichever country ends up with these people has won the lottery. Um, These are some of the most loyal people who have a commitment to democracy because they know what it means to not have it. They know what it means to work to earn it. Whoever ends up with these people is going to get the most loyal citizens they get. So I'm just going to put that out there right now. Um, In terms of, I mean, those of us who are working on this side outside of Afghanistan, we all know that. We're all disgusted by it, by that kind of talk. We've all heard it it's not talk that we pass on to the people on the ground. I mean, that's something that you know, you can't run for morale at a time like this, but we see it. Um, you read a tweet like that. I mean, I've had some tweets that have come back when um, you know, I was covering this and and people were saying much the same thing. And it, it is, as you said, disgusting. It makes my skin crawl. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's I I'm afraid it's like cussing on air.
0: It is, and it's 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 sad that that attitude is here. And as I say, I just I just hope that you know the people that are in charge of this 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 program, uh, can uh, look past that and understand the urgency that's going on here. What options at this stage are open? I mean, you know, we know that the U.S. contingent is gone. We know they left an awful lot of military hardware behind, Mm -hmm. which is now in the possession of the Taliban. Uh, You you mentioned, you know, one of the options we have been told is for them to find their way to a a border of another country and to try to get safe passage there. Uh, And you said it's not so easily done because there are no... uh, basically no agreements between the Afghan government before they ran away from the Taliban uh, and these other governments. And you can simply be turned away at the border. I mean, you can go through hellfire, I guess, to try to get to a border. If you're lucky enough to get there, they could simply say, we're not letting you in. So that's not really a solution at this stage, is it?
1: It's not a solution. Um, And unfortunately, it's the only real solution we have without going right back to war. Um, What we're looking at now, what I'm trying to push for personally right now is getting a hold of immigration lawyers here uh, in other countries, so that if these people do make it to the border, they can hit the ground running and have their paperwork be expedited, be processed through really, really hard. So, you know, if there's anybody out there that can help with that, that's that's certainly a line we'd love to have. Um, we're trying to make sure that these people can really keep moving. That there's once they start running, they don't have to stop until they get to safety, and that's the option we're working with right now, and it's, it's slim hope.
0: Matthew, we know about the the treatment of women by the Taliban, Uh, we know that some of the horrific stories about what went on uh, before the Allied forces uh, were in Afghanistan. Uh, The greatest fear that many of them have expressed, and we've talked to a number of Afghanis over the last couple of weeks on the program, uh, have said is that it's simply going to revert back to those days again. With that in mind, is is it a priority now to try to get women and and young girls out away from danger as, as quickly as possible?
1: Absolutely. Along with the people who work with U.S. forces, they're the highest risk. Uh, I know you've read the draft, so you've, you've seen this part, and I'll share it with your listeners, uh, despite it being gruesome, so I'm going to give them a heads up. Um, I decided to step over from being a journalist to just really helping when I opened up a claim from an Afghan journalist, um, basically trying to get their refugee status expedited. They had in there that the men didn't care what happened to them. Their only concern was for the women in their group. They were worried that they would become sex slaves and be married off to the taliban and next to those words um was a, uh i'm sorry was a picture of a six-year-old girl and it's i'm really sorry it's really hard to see i know um he's smiling at the camera and she has no idea what words are showing up next to her head and i
0: Oh. it's it's i know it's you can't see this and you can't experience this without it tearing your heart out i understand which is why i think we have to understand the gravity of the situation i uh, i i guess one of the takeaways there because i know that a number of the people that are still there matthew are feeling abandoned uh, but uh, one of the messages I think we need to get across, and, and I know you've already tried to explain this to them, is there are still a number of people that may not even physically be there now that are still trying desperately, uh, yourself included, and a number of U.S. service people uh, that are still trying desperately to cut through red tape and to try to expedite this process. Uh, so it's not as if uh, everybody has given up on them. The, the process is still there, but it's it's got to be akin to rolling a rock up the hill sometimes to try to get any progress here.
1: It is, um, we tell them every day, we're here. Um, I have things that weigh heavy on me. Um, I lost contact with a family whose uh, wife has cancer. The wife of the interpreter has cancer. Uh, They're both high risk for because of her health, him because of his job. And we try to just tell them every day we're still here, and then you get people like that who don't answer, and you have no idea what's happening to them, and you're trying to tell them I'm still here to keep their morale up. But the truth is when they answer me and say, hey, I'm still here too, that helps to keep us going.
0: The, The story here, and we're out of time, unfortunately, but we're, we're going to stay in touch because I know that, that this is not going to go away anytime soon. I just don't want people to, to leave with the impression that, well, as of the end of August, the U.S. troops are gone, the Allied forces are effectively out of there, uh, period, end of story. That's the end of the story. This is not the end of the story. There's there's much more to be talked about here. Uh, there's much more to be done here. and uh, And we can't forget these people. We can't forget those who put their lives on the line and whose families' uh, lies on the line uh, to try to help in the process there. And, uh, and, and we can't simply turn our backs on them. And I know you haven't. I know many of the, the people you're working with have not done that. Uh, we just have to maintain that message. And as, as you mentioned in the piece today, uh, we've got to make sure that those who have the power to do something about this don't forget this either. They still and we still have a responsibility here.
1: Absolutely. Um, I I hope that this kind of coverage puts at least some animating pressure on the people who do wield the pens of right policy, because that's what we need. We need those tubes unclogged so that these guys can get through.
0: Matthew, uh, continued uh, good luck with this. I know that uh, there have been some, as you mentioned, some boxes that have been checked and some Ws uh, for these very dedicated people to try to to get these people out of harm's way. And uh, here's hoping that there'll be many more of those successful stories, too. Let's stay in touch. But thank you so very much for spending some time with us today.
1: Well, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you for caring enough to have me.
0: Take care. Uh, Matthew Best, and uh, all the best to Matthew and, and all the big, great people that are so uh, diligently working to try to, to get these people out of Afghanistan in, in what is a real life or death situation. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.